If you'll be seated and find your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today. The Barna Research Group not long ago did a survey in which they asked some people questions on the subject of truth. And the first question that they asked was worded like this. Some people believe that there are moral truths which are absolute, meaning that those moral truths or principles do not change according to the circumstances. Other people believe that moral truth always depends upon the situation, meaning that their moral and ethical decisions depend upon the circumstances. How about you? Do you believe that there are moral absolutes that are unchanging or that moral truth is relative to the circumstances? Yes, no, or no opinion. In the results, they discovered that 64% of the respondents said that truth is relative to a person and the situation that they're in at the time. 83% of teens responded that truth is relative to the situation. So they asked another question in the survey. When you are faced with a moral or ethical choice... Which one of the following best describes how you yourself decide what to do? What is the basis or source of those principles and standards that you take into consideration? In responding to that, 13% identified biblical principles as their primary source. 6% said religious principles are their primary source for moral truth. 21% said they respond by what they were taught by their parents and sometimes life lessons as well. 7% said the expectation of others. 7% said that they make moral decisions based upon what causes the least amount of conflict. And 40% said that they make decisions based upon what feels right and what will help them the most. Now, you would think, that something like truth would be very easy to identify. After all, in our society, we have mathematical truth, and it's very, very narrow. When I was a boy in elementary school, we would have a math test, and the teacher would say, what's five plus three? And I would respond, seven. And so the teacher would get her a red ink pen, and she would make an X. And I would say to her, why did you mark that wrong? I was so close. Five plus three is not seven. Five plus three is eight. It's a mathematical truth. There's also scientific truth in our society. Tonight, I can go outside. I can take a glass of water with me. I can put it on my patio table, and I can sit in the chair, and I can say to myself, I'm going to sit here until this water freezes. And I can sit there all night long unless the temperature gets to 32 degrees. Unless it reaches that freezing point, the water's not going to freeze. It's scientific truth, observational truth. There's also physical truth, which can be quite narrow. I go up to the top of Jerry World, and I say to myself, I sincerely believe that I can fly. I believe I can fly. And so I put my Superman cape on, I jump off a Jerry World, and the reality is I can't fly. 
the physical truth, no matter how sincere I am, no matter how much I believe, no matter how powerful I think my super ninja costume is, I can't fly. And if I jump off of Jerry World, I'm going to die or at the very least land on top of the scoreboard. Okay? Then there's also performance truth. I can believe that the Cowboys are a Super Bowl team. I can really believe that 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 is the truth. But the reality is, is that their performance on the field says they are not a Super Bowl team. In fact, they're kind of an 8-8 eight eight team, like every year, okay? So no matter what I believe, there is the actual performance here. If there is mathematical truth, if there is scientific truth, if there is physical truth, if there are absolutes when it comes to performance truth, what if? What if there is also spiritual and moral truth, which is absolute in its nature? Our culture today, and let's just be honest about this, our culture that we live in today is dominated by the thought that there is no spiritual or moral truth. In fact, that they are simply a a matter of one's individual opinion. And in fact, in the room today, there are many here that embrace that idea. And, and you're welcome to be here. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're worshiping with us and, and we're studying the scriptures today. And I understand, I understand this, that Christianity is a journey. And I understand that sometimes you have to wrestle with ideas as God begins to show you things about himself. So if that's where you are, you're welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're, we're learning together and we're in this together. But there are many that would say there is no such thing as universal moral truth. In fact, this week, uh, Paul Reed and a friend of ours, we were, we were out eating some barbecue and we began engaging in a spiritual conversation with our waiter. And I remember our waiter said something to us that, that so illustrated this common mindset. He said, I believe that there's something out there and, and that's my belief and I have my belief and you guys may believe some things that I don't believe. And then he said, hey, it's cool for me and it's cool for you. Whatever you believe, you believe and whatever I believe, I believe. You know, are you cool with that? And he's kind of nodding his head. And that is just kind of a general, anybody ever heard that kind of idea? Am I the only one? All right, so here's where there's some problems. If moral truth is just a matter of opinion, then there can be major problems when those opinions collide. For example, does everybody in this room agree that the 9-11 terrorist attack was morally reprehensible? Hijacking those planes and flying them into buildings that was morally reprehensible. Do we agree on that? All in favor say aye. Okay, so there's general, there's general agreement on that. Do you realize that there are approximately, according to sociologists, about 112 million people in the world? That's a lot of people that believe that that event was morally justified, that it was, an, it was a response to moral degradation and, and oppression upon, by the United States. And so there's, there's a collision of ideas as to was that morally wrong or was that morally right. So frequently what we do is we say, okay, well, we'll create law then. And we'll create laws, and those laws 
will be our guide as to what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And if your idea of truth is harmful to me or harmful to the society as a whole, we'll create a law against it, and that can be my guide. If if it's legal, it's morally okay. If it's illegal, then it's morally wrong. I'm going to use the law for that. Well, that can be a a helpful place for you to be, yet it also has its problems. And let's just take something in the news today. In Texas, it's illegal for you to smoke marijuana. So if you're going to use the law as your moral guide, then it's morally wrong for you in Texas to smoke marijuana. Hop on an airplane to Washington, and it's legal. So it's morally wrong here, it's morally right there. It used to be morally, it used to be illegal there, so did it used to be morally wrong and then became morally right? Uh, it, what, what I'm getting at is that law changes over time. In fact, uh, law even changes with geography. You see uh, a hotbed issue right now, the same-sex marriage argument in our country right now. For 200 years, the general consensus in America was that same-sex marriage was a bad idea. It wasn't uh, helpful for society. Over the last five years, there's been a, a massive shift in a lot of people's thinking, and so you're beginning to see that law change, and yet as our Olympians hopped on an airplane and went to Russia, they landed in a different geography in the world in which the viewpoint was entirely different. So law, though it can be helpful, it it really isn't a good determinant of what is morally right and what is morally wrong because uh, something can be legal and not be right. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw it out, abortion. I don't think abortion is, is morally right, yet it's legal. Okay? Got quiet in here, didn't it? Okay? So if truth is a matter of just individual opinion, eventually truth becomes like trying to nail jello to the wall. It just becomes something that's kind of a, a blob. It's very difficult to identify. So we're in church, and for whatever reason, you came to church today, okay? And what does the Bible have to say about truth? And what did Jesus have to say about truth? Let's look at a few verses from John's gospel. In John chapter 1 and verse 16, the scriptures say, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. And then notice what the scriptures say here. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you flip on over to John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus began a sentence with this, Very truly I tell you. Now, frequently Jesus would begin sentences with the Greek words, Amen, Amen, which means truly, truly. What I'm about to say to you, this is spiritual truth. So Jesus says, this is spiritual truth. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed from death to life. Now, Jesus is making a statement here about truth. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, God, has eternal life. And you will not be judged, but you have crossed from death to life. Jesus says, this is truth. In John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus says to his followers, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And then he says, you will know 
the truth, there's our word again, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Abide in me, abide in my truth, you will know what is truth and what is not truth and that truth will set you free. Now hang on to that verse because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. This, Jesus held a radical idea. Jesus held the idea that truth, spiritual truth, is not just a matter of opinion. That truth is not merely limited to observational law. Jesus actually taught that truth is found in him. That he is the one who brings us grace. He is the one that brings us truth. Uh, In another occasion, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, to God, but through me. That's a pretty narrow statement. That's pretty narrow. Now, think with me on this. And I know that this isn't what Oprah taught us. But is it possible? Is it possible? That beyond your opinions of what is, and even beyond our discoveries of what is, and many of our discoveries are truthful, but is it possible that beyond all that, there is a holy truth that is determined by our Creator? If you work with the premise, a non-atheistic premise, an agnostic premise could fit into this. You, you could be agnostic and say, well, I'm not really sure if there is a God or not, but there is a chance, okay, in an agnostic position. If you work with the premise that God is and that God created, then how far of a jump is it to make that the Creator determines truth because He is the one that knows reality? Let me illustrate this for you. I think we have our church logo. Put it, let's put our church logo up here on the screen. We, we able to do that? Dun, 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 dun. There we go. All right. Isn't it a beautiful logo? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Look at that logo for just a few moments and ask yourself, what is, what, what, what is it trying to display? What is the symbolism in that logo. Now, don't show it, shout it out to me or anything like that, but just look at it and, and think, what is the symbolism in that logo? Okay, now find somebody sitting around you, and from your observations, try to determine what is the symbolism in that logo. Okay, ready? Go ahead, talk. You can talk in church. Let's go. If they're sleeping next to you, go ahead and wake them up at this point, Okay. All right, everybody awake? Okay. Now, when I see that church logo, there's several things that I see. Number one, I see a mosaic. There's different size, sizes, and there's different shades, and all those come together into one unit. And so what I see when I see that logo is a picture of our church that we come from different places in the world, uh, different spiritual backgrounds, Uh, We have different lives that God has put together into one church body. And at the center of all of that is the cross. You see the orange pieces there make a cross. And so as a congregation, even though we have a lot of differences, we come together around the cross. 
Now, when I see the logo, I also see the cross in the middle, but if you look at it, it also looks like a stone, the kind of stone that they put in front of the tomb of Jesus. And so we've been able to merge the idea of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ into one graphic. Now, at the same time, whenever I look at that, I'm reminded of the ancient cobblestone roads of Rome. And yet at the same time, the logo has a modern type feel to it. And so it reminds me that even though our message is ancient, our message goes back 2,000 years, uh, we live in modern times. We have a, a modern, we live in 2014, but our message is anchored in something that is ancient. That's what I see whenever I look at it. Did you guys see the same thing? Did you guys get all that too whenever you looked at it? A few of you, yeah, okay. Well, the reason why that I see all of that is because I was the creator, okay? I was part of the creative team that put together the logo, and so I know in my mind what is truth about it. I know what we were shooting for whenever we put together the logo. So what I'm going at here, what I'm getting at here is that our creator, God, knows the reality. He knows what he was designing. He knows what he was putting together. And so whenever we really want to get down to the foundation of what is spiritual and moral truth and move beyond just our opinion, we seek truth in God. And if God has revealed himself to us, which we believe he has through Christ and through the word of God, then he has revealed to us his truths. And truth can be absolute. Truth can be foundational. There are truths spiritually and moral that we can build our lives on that don't change with law, don't change with seasons that last for all eternity. Now, the truth is relative crowd really doesn't change much except their mind. If you go back and look at history, the great men and women of history, those people that anchored countries, those people that were great model fathers, those people that were the the great mothers of society, those that were the great educators, those that were the great business leaders. They, They were people that had a strength of character, people that had integrity about them, and people that stood for truth. If you want to have impact with your life, if you want your life to outlive you, and to continue to impact people for generations to come, there has to be something in you that you stand for. Something that is truth, something that is integrity, something that builds within you a foundation of this is the truth that I stand for and that I live for. That doesn't mean you have to be a bully about it. You don't have to beat people up with it all the time. But there needs to be a moral fiber about you that I believe this is right and I stand for this. Standing for truth, it's the difference between having a random life that just kind of floats along like the feather from Forrest Gump or having a meaningful life. It's the difference between being a follower and being a leader. It's the difference between being part of the societal problem or part of the solution. It's the difference between a boy who shaves and a man. Your life will never impact people until you become a man or a woman of principle. There's character about you. There's truths about you that you've built your life upon. Let me give you a scenario. 
you're the dictator of a region, and there's a high-profile criminal case. The media has demonized the defendant. Now, as the person who's responsible for making the judgment, as you look at the facts, it's very, very obvious to you that this person is innocent. And yet you have a dilemma. Because if you stand for right in this case, the society has been so, is so wound up about this that they may drag you through the streets. Yet if you pronounce this person guilty, you know in your heart that an innocent man is going to die. That's the situation that Pontius Pilate was in, in John chapter 18, when he stands face to face with Jesus. Here's how the Bible records the scene in verse 28 of John chapter 18. It says, Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Then Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. (laughs) Now catch this. I was born for this. Standing in front of the dictator here, Jesus looks at him face to face and says, I was born born for this. He goes on to say, and I have come into the world for this. All right. Jesus just said, I have come into the world for this. What he's about to say next, perhaps we should pay attention to. I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Whenever you crucify me, whenever you raise me up, I'm going to be testifying to the truth that all men have sinned, that God has provided a way for forgiveness and redemption. I am a testimony to the truth. Jesus also said numerous times, you're going to crucify me, I'm the Son of God, and I'm going to show you that I'm the Son of God by coming back to life. That's my testimony to the truth. He then looks at Pontius Pilate, this man who was used to having people beg him for mercy, and he says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth, everyone who is of the truth, listens to my voice. What is truth? That was Pilate's question. Face to face with Jesus, what is 
truth. You see, truth is not a question that we just started discussing in your lifetime. It's not one of these things that, you know, my grandparents had it right, my great-grandparents had it right, but my generation is wrestling with this. People have been wrestling with this question for thousands of years, and they will continue to wrestle with it long after you're gone. Jesus said, I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone who is uh, on the side of truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked the question that many of us are still asking today, What is truth? And so I want to finish today by by getting to the truth of the matter and discussing three things that Jesus said about truth. And I'm aware that our time is fleeing, so I'll go quickly, okay? The first is this. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. The religious leaders were spewing lies about Jesus. And Jesus says, if you're on the side of truth, you hear my voice. So what side are you on, Pilate? This is the trial of eternity. Hey, Pontius Pilate, you've led armies. You've climbed the political ladder. You, are a, you, you think you are powerful. You are a strong man. But what side of truth? are you on? Beyond all your accomplishments, beyond all the external, deep inside you, what side of truth are you on? Because truth is a dividing line. Are you on the side of the evil one or are you on the side of Jesus? Are you on the side that says truth is just my opinion? Are you on the side that says no truth is found in God? Are you on the side that says I just live for me and I go by intuition and whatever I want, that's where I go for, that's truth for me? Are you on the side that says no, I live for God and I live for others? Are you on the side that says, I'll follow the world and whatever they believe today, that's what I believe? Or are you on the side that says, no, I I follow Christ? What you decide about truth will define your life. Now, let me back up and say that again. What you decide about truth is going to define your life. And Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to my voice. He also said in a passage that we read earlier, he said, if you abide in my truth, the truth will set you free. If you abide in my truth, the truth will set you free. A few years ago, I had LASIK surgery. I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist, and so uh, he worked up a deal, and and I had LASIK surgery. Now, Uh, the basic problem, if I understand it correctly, and some of y'all can probably give me better details, was that my cornea was shaped incorrectly. It wasn't that my eye was unhealthy. My cornea was just shaped incorrectly. And because of that, since I was a little boy, I had seen the world blurry. Everything was blurry to me. And so what they do is they reshape your eye so that when the light hits it, you're able to see it clearly. Now, it was a terrifying experience. There's a couple of things, if you ever have LASIK surgery, that I do not, that, just a couple of recommendations from me, okay? First of all, if they offer you a Valium, go ahead and take that, okay? Okay, that, that's a wise move to take it. Secondly, do not watch the YouTube video about it beforehand, okay? That turns it into a horror flick, all right? They're slicing your eyeball right now, you know, pulling it back. I mean, don't watch the YouTube video, so... 
So I go in there needing glasses, and I come out of there with 2015 vision. He pulls me up in the chair. I can see the clock. But the first thing that I noticed was that my eyes were very, very sensitive. In fact, I had to shut them, and, and we had to wear sunglasses, and I had to go home and just keep my eyes shut for a while. And it took a little bit of time, but after a while, I, I adjusted, and I was able to see the world clearly. Now, here's where a lot of us are. For many, many years when it comes to truth, you've been looking through a lens that causes you to have a worldview that is blurry. You don't see truth in situations because the lens through which you are are looking causes you to see it in a skewed fashion. But one of the things that happens whenever Christ becomes Lord of your life and he abides in your heart is he starts reshaping you. Now, God doesn't just come into your life and start reshaping you through behavior modification. He goes much deeper than that. He reshapes the heart, the inner you. And from the inner you, you begin seeing the world differently, and you begin seeing people around you differently, and you begin seeing your place in the world differently. And so you start seeing truth much more clearly. And at first, it may even be a little awkward. At first, it may even cause you to kind of close your eyes and and pull back. But Jesus says, if you abide in my truth, if you abide, if, if you stay in it, if you keep living my truth, if you keep letting me change you from the inside out, the truth is going to set you free. It's going to lead you to a point where you can live as your creator designed you to live. I call it living forgiven, being who Christ made you to be. The truth will set you free. Now, a third statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You say, Lash, that's narrow. Yeah, it is. I'll admit to you, Christians are just narrow-minded. Well, that's a narrow statement. I I agree with you. It's not my statement, though. It's Jesus' statement. And you have to wrestle with Jesus at some point in your life because there's never been a more dominant figure in history than Jesus. We talked about this last week. He comes onto the scene, divides time in half. He, He affects art, literature, law, morality. I mean, you have to at some point wrestle with Jesus, and one of the things that Jesus said, it's in red in your Bibles, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He just made narrow statement after narrow statement in that whole sentence. I'm it. I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The flip side of this is that if God exists, and God has revealed himself to me, and God extends to me grace, and God extends to me forgiveness, and there's a way for my life to be connected with God, don't you want to know what that way is? I mean, if God exists and he's revealed himself to me so that I may know him, I don't want it to be ambiguous, hey, just figure it out yourself. I want God to say, here's my son. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Believe in him. He's the path to me. So Jesus is teaching Though it might be narrow, it's also very precise. It says, trust in me. Now, what is so sad about Pilate's question, 
what is truth is that truth was standing right in front of him. And he missed it. I see this happen all the time. Truth is standing right in front of us and we miss it. Sometimes we believe in the wrong things. Whenever you believe in the wrong things and you put your trust in the wrong object, you're destined to be disappointed. Eventually it's going to prove untrustworthy. As a pastor, I run into a lot of people that are de-churched, a lot of people that are apathetic, even though they're in church, they're kind of numb. A lot of people that are disillusioned. And frequently as you begin to talk to them, you, you begin to realize that they placed faith in things that are temporary, things that are not eternal truth. Maybe you've just trusted in going to church. And this is a, this is a cool church. Murphy Road's a cool place. But this church will disappoint you. Uh, you've trusted in a pastor or a spiritual teacher. I can say honestly, I love you guys. I love this church very, very deeply, but I also promise you I'll disappoint you. I'm far, far from perfect and not the pastor I need to believe, be. Whenever you believe in the wrong things and you put your faith in the wrong things, it will guarantee that eventually you will be disappointed. So God calls us to believe in the one thing that is absolutely, eternally trustworthy. He says, believe in me. And one of the great distinctives of Christianity, whenever you compare it in the buffet of world religions, one of the great distinctives of Christianity is that our faith is not just faith in teachings or words, but our faith calls us to believe in Jesus, calls us to actually put our faith in God as our Savior and our Lord because He calls us not just to follow a code, He calls us to know Him and to be His children and have a relationship with Him. So Jesus says, believe in me. I'm truth. Seems simple. It's not by my good works. It's not by my church. It's not by how sincere I am. It's not even my opinion. Jesus says, it's me. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Believe in me. Abide in my truth. And the truth will set you free. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads. and The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in worship. I ask you this morning, has there ever been that time in your life where you believed in Jesus as the truth? You've placed your faith in him. And I, I invite you, if there hasn't been that time, to make this moment that time. Mark this moment in your life. Murphy Road Church, 945 service. Just finished hearing a sermon on Pilate and what is truth. And this is the moment where I place my faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. I invite you to call out to God in your own words, Heavenly Father. I need your forgiveness. I am not you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I place my faith today. I even place my questions in Jesus Christ. I am trusting in Him as my Lord, as my Savior.
I'm believing that he is truth. Ask God to help you to abide in that truth. In the coming days, there may be adjustments. The Lord's going to show you some things in your heart that may cause you to see the world a little bit differently. But as you abide in that truth, the truth will set you free. So I invite you right now to just call out to God. Ask Him to set you free. In this next song that the band leads us in, I'll be here at the front. Today is the day where you believed in Christ for the first time. I want to know about it. I want to embarrass you. I just want to celebrate with you. You can come and just share with me, Pastor, today I believed in Jesus. I'll be here after the service. I'll, I'll be here throughout the picnic. If, if God's done a work in your life today, just share with me. I want to celebrate with you. Lord, we thank you that you clear up the picture. That all these things that we wrestle with and we wonder about, that you are not a detached deity who just started everything and then left us to figure it out on our own, but you have gone out of your way to reveal yourself to us. And that you spoke so clearly through your son and have said, this is the way, this is the truth, this is how you might truly have life and have it abundantly. And yes, Lord, sometimes there are questions that we have and things that we don't completely understand, but Father, we press through those in faith and we trust in you that you are a good, righteous God. We thank you that you have done something about evil, that you are doing something about evil, and that you will do something about evil, and we trust in you as the sovereign one who created it all, who brought truth near. Help us to live our life on something that is anchored in timeless truth. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.